Section eight of Cleek of Scotland Yard by Thomas W. Hanshew. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter five. How did I come to suspect the girl? said Cleek, answering Narkom's query as they swung off through the darkness in the red limousine, leaving Edgeburn and his confederates in the hands of the police. Well, as a matter of fact, I did not suspect her at all in the beginning. Her saintly reputation saved her from any such things as that. It was only when her father came in that I knew, and later I knew even better, when I saw that pretended imbecile sitting there in that room, for the blundering fool had been ass enough to kick off his slippers and sit there in his stocking feet, and I spotted the Alvarez foot on the instant. Still, I didn't know but what the girl herself might be an innocent victim, a sort of dove in a vulture's nest, and it was not until I found that scrap of wood from a sharpened lead pencil that I began to doubt her. It was only when I promised that Barrington Edwards should be trapped that I actually knew. The light that flamed in her eyes in spite of her at that would have made an idiot understand. What's that? What should I suspect from the finding of that scrap of pencil? My dear Mr. Narkom, carry your mind back to that moment when I found the stain on poor Jim Peabody's thumb and then examined the blade of his pocket-knife. The marks on the latter showed clearly that the man had sharpened a pencil with it, and, of course, with the point of that pencil against the top of his thumb. By the peculiar bronze-like shine of the streaks, and the small particles of dust adhering to the knife-blade, I felt persuaded that the pencil was an indelible one. In short, one of those which write a faint blackish lilac hue, which on the application of moisture turns to a vivid and indelible purple. The moisture induced by the act of thrusting his forefingers up his nostrils to allay the horrible sensation of the brain descending which that hellish powder produces, together with the perspiration which comes with intense agony, had made such a change in the smears his thumb and forefinger bore, and left no room for doubt that at the time he was smitten he had either just begun, or just concluded, writing something with an indelible pencil, which he had but recently sharpened. Poor wretch! He, of all the lot, had someone belonging to him that was still living, his poor old mother— it is very fair to suppose that, finding the Alvarez place so lavishly furnished, and having hopes that great riches were yet to be his, he sat down on that bed and began to write a few lines in his illiterate way to that mother, before wholly undressing and getting between the sheets. The mark on his palm is a clear proof that when the powder suddenly descended upon him, he involuntarily closed his hand on that letter, and the perspiration transferred to his flesh the shape of the scrawl upon which it rested. Pardon? How did I know through that scrawl that I was really on the track, and that it was the bereaver reef that was at the bottom of the whole game? My dear Mr. Narkom, I won't insult your intelligence by explaining that. All you have to do is to turn that tracing upside down and look through it, 
or at it in a mirror, and you'll have the answer for yourself. What's that? The parcel the girl gave Edgeburn to carry out on the pretext of taking it to an orphanage. Oh, that was how they were slowly getting rid of the victim's clothes. Cutting them up into little pieces and throwing them into the river, I suppose. Or if not... He stopped suddenly, his ear caught by a warning sound, then turned in his seat and glanced through the little window at the back of the limousine. "'I thought as much,' he said, half aloud, then leaned forward, caught up the pipe of the speaking-tube, and signalled Leonard. "'Look sharp! Taxi following us,' he said. "'Put on a sudden spurt. That chap will increase speed to keep pace with us.' "'Then pull up sharp and let the other fellow's impetus carry him by before he can help himself. "'Out with the light, Mr. Narkom. Out with it quick!' "'Both Leonard and his master followed instructions. "'Of a sudden the lights flicked out, the car leapt forward with a bound, "'then pulled up with a jerk that shook it from end to end. "'In that moment the taxi in the rear whizzed by them, "'and Narkom, leaning forward to look as it flashed past, saw seated within it— the figure of Count Valdemar of Mauravania. "'By James, did you see that, Cleek?' he cried, and switched round and made a grab for Cleek's arm. But Cleek was not there. His seat was empty, and the door beside it was swinging ajar. "'Well, I'll be jiggered!' exclaimed the superintendent, fairly carried out of himself for even in his old vanishing cracksman's days when he had slipped the leash and eluded the police so often the man had not made a more adroit more silent more successful getaway than this of all the astonishing gad an eel's a fool to him for slipping out of tight places when did he go i wonder and where never very strong on matters of detail here curiosity tricked him into absolute indiscretion. Sliding along the seat to the swinging door, he thrust it open and leaned out into the darkness for a purpose so evident that he who ran might read. That one who ran did, he had good reason to understand in the next instant, for of a sudden the taxi in advance checked its wild flight, swung round with a noisy scroop and pelted back until the two vehicles stood cheek by jowl, so to speak, and the glare of its headlights was pouring full force upon Mr. Narkom and into the interior of the red limousine. "'Dash your infernal impudence!' began he, blinking up at the driver through a glare which prevented him seeing that the taxicab's leather blinds had been discreetly pulled down and its interior rendered quite invisible but before he could add so much as another word to his protest, the chauffeur's voice broke in with a blandness and an accent which told its own story. Dix mille pardon, monsieur,' it commenced, then pulled itself up as if the owner of it had suddenly recollected himself, and added abruptly in a farcical attempt to imitate the jargon of the fast-disappearing London cabby, "'Keep off the air on, old cock, only wanting to ask of the question civil, lost my bloomin' way. Put a cove onto the shortcut to the high street, will you, like a blessed Christian? I don't know where I are.' 
mr narkom was not suffered to make reply before he had more than grasped the fact that the speaker was undeniably a frenchman leonard out of the range of that dazzling light had made the discovery that he was yet more undeniably a frenchman of that class from which the apaches are recruited and stepped into the breach with astonishing adroitness oh that's the trouble is it he interposed my hat why of course we'll put you on the way what's more we'll take you along and show you won't we governor eh so as you won't go astray till you gets there heads in and door shut superintendent bringing the limousine around until it pointed in the same direction as the taxicab now then straight ahead and follow your nose jules we'll be rubbing shoulders with you the whole blessed way and as the duke of wellington said to napoleon bonaparte and none of your larks you blighter you're a-comin' along with me that he was was a condition of affairs so inevitable that the chauffeur made no attempt to evade it merely put on speed and headed straight for the distant high street for the purpose of getting rid of his escort as soon as possible and leonard putting on speed likewise and keeping pace with him ran him neck and neck until the heath was left far and away behind the darkness gave place to a glitter of street lamps the lonely roads to populous thoroughfares and the way was left clear for cleek to get off unfollowed and unmolested End of section 8